We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is immigration again. And I want to talk about Biden's open border policies and how they are logically, legally, biblically, and historically stupid. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Well, as I said in the introduction, today's topic is immigration again. And the thing that's got me off on this recently is some exposés, some mini-docs, mini-documentaries that have been produced by Prager University, PragerU. If you don't follow PragerU, you need to. Because they're one of the few organizations out there covering this particular topic accurately and honestly. They sent a couple of their key personalities. One is Aldo and the other is CJ, two young guys that are in their mid-20s, maybe pushing 30, I don't know, but two young guys who went down to the border and did an expose, a documentary, mini-docs, about five minutes long each, on what's actually taking place at the Texas border. They focus on that, but you know that it's not just in Texas. It's Texas, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and frankly, it's taking place in Florida. It's taking place in Georgia. It's taking place in New York. It's taking place along the northern border between the United States and Canada. It's taking place across the nation. And I even need to correct myself there. It's not just the border states. It's it's in the interior also, because if it's happening in Texas, it's not going to stay in Texas. It's going to be in Oklahoma, and in fact, it already is before you know it. And it's going to be in Ohio and Kansas and Nebraska and Iowa. It will take place in the Dakotas. It will take place in Tennessee, Kentucky, across the nation. So the question is, is illegal immigration, is this call to open our borders, to welcome the sojourner, to use biblical language, to welcome the foreigner in our midst. Is this a moral thing to do? Is it the legal thing to do? Is it logical? Is it biblical? And how about history? What have the scholars, the sages of the ages, those people that lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe 500 years ago, what have those people said about this issue? Oh, they've commented on it. They haven't been silent because it isn't the first time it's come up. Should a nation have open borders? Are walls and fences immoral? What have people, oh, let's just say Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Aquinas, what did the Apostle Paul, what did the Bible say about this? How about Nehemiah? How about the prophets of the Old Testament? How about the writers of the New Testament? What is the answer to this question when it comes to immigration? Are sanctuary cities and states the moral high ground here? Or are we opening our borders to the enemy? And can we be a nation? Are we a nation if we have no borders that are enforced? 
That's today's topic. I know I've talked about it before, but I want to share a little bit more with you because this issue is critical. It's critical to humanity because we need to attend to what's really taking place on the borders. Is it good for these people? Is it bad for these people? And we also need to attend to the lessons of history, the lessons of Scripture, and the legal reality and moral facts that pertain to open borders, Joe Biden's policy, and the call from the left that if you really, really care about people, says Russell Moore, says uh, David French on the evangelical side, and then the entire Democrat Party says, open the borders. Anybody who calls to close them and to stop someone from crossing our borders illegally is a monster. You're the one. You're the one that's immoral here. Not the coyote, not the cartels, not the trafficker, you, the conservative, you're the immoral one because you believe we should actually have defined borders that are enforced. That's today's topic. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to the Rebellion. So the topic is immigration again. Why? Well, I've been watching some of these mini-docs by PragerU. Uh, full disclosure here, my son is actually the producer and editor behind the scenes on these mini-docs. You need to go to PragerU. That's Prager, P-R-A-G-R-U, capital U. It's um, an effort that Dennis Prager, excellent commentator. If you don't follow Dennis Prager, you need to. He is um, a spokesperson for conservatism. Not a Christian. Dennis Prager is a conservative Jew. I don't know if you knew that or not. But in the spirit of co-belligerence, remember what co-belligerence is? Francis Schaeffer and others have talked about it. That even if we disagree on key things, for example, there's a very important thing that I disagree with Dennis Prager on, and that is Jesus. Jesus being the second person of the triune God. Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. Jesus being my Savior and my Lord. Jesus being God himself. Now, Dennis Prager does not believe that. But Dennis Prager 
locks arms with me, and I lock arms with him in common cause for things that matter, like the sanctity of human life, the importance of human freedom and liberty, the conservation of time-tested truths that have stood, stood the test of time over the generations, over the centuries, over the millennia. That's very important. We can disagree and we can argue, we can debate in a civil fashion, in a polite manner, on important things, but we can still lock arms with people in co-belligerence. Uh, this would be the case between um, me and um, Ben Shapiro, you and Ben Shapiro. If you're a Christian, you disagree with Ben Shapiro on the same thing. And even Dennis uh, Prager and Ben Shapiro, both Jews, would disagree on some things. You, you will notice that Ben Shapiro wears a yarmulke. Dennis Prager does not. It's because they disagree on some things even within the Jewish context. So I can disagree with you if you're a Christian, and you with me if you're a Christian. You might be a Methodist, I might be a Baptist, I might be a Wesleyan, you might be an Anglican. I mean, these things are important issues. I'm not saying that they're, they're insignificant, but we can still agree that human beings should be free and that liberty should be fought for and defended. We should be able to agree that a woman is a biological fact— and not the fabrication of a dysphoric male. We should agree that there's a distinction between adults and children, for example. We should agree that private property is important in a free society. And if the state ever presumes to take property away from the individual, that society, that culture, that country, that nation is no longer free. We sh should agree that um, economic policies can devastate not only those of means, but also those that are trying to pull themselves up and out. Because if there's no way, if there's no way to save, if there's no way to, to work hard and get yourself into a different social economic strata, then why bother? Why try? You won't even bother to work any longer. We should agree that communism has been bad for people, 100 million plus killed by it. And capitalism, though far from perfect, has actually provided people with a greater measure of freedom and liberty and financial reward. We should be able to agree on all things, but yet, excuse me, on these things, some things, but yet not agree on all things and still work together for common cause, okay? So in the spirit of co-belligerence, I wanna talk about this issue of immigration. We can disagree on a lot of things, but we should be able to understand that open border policy is just doggone unbiblical and historically stupid and it's immoral. As you look at these documentaries that are being produced, these mini-docs being produced by Prager University, um, whether you agree with Prager, whether you agree with Aldo, whether you agree with CJ and the other Prager U personalities on everything, doesn't matter. We can attend to this issue of immigration and just look at the facts. That's my point, okay? Now, Ronald Reagan once said this, a nation that cannot control its borders is not a nation. Okay, one more time on Reagan. A nation that cannot control its borders is not a nation. And three decades later, Donald Trump comes along and he says a nation without borders is no nation at all. So he's essentially paraphrasing Reagan. One more time, Reagan, a nation cannot con that cannot control its borders, a nation that cannot control its borders is not a nation. And then a nation without borders is no nation at all. So Reagan and Trump are saying the same thing. Okay, Tony Abbott, he was the prime minister of Australia. So this just isn't an American issue. This is an issue in Australia and around the world. Tony Abbott, former prime minister of Australia, said this, 
No country or continent can open its borders to all comers without fundamentally weakening itself. Now, this is common sense. You are not a nation if you have no borders. What Reagan and Trump said is just common sense. If there's no border between Mexico and the United States, then Mexico and, United, and the United States do not exist as distinct nations and countries, if there's no border. Because the Constitution of Mexico is different than the Constitution of the United States. That's why they are two different countries. Now, the left wants to see all borders go away because they don't believe in nationalism. They don't believe Mexico should be an independent, sovereign nation. They don't believe the United States should be independent and sovereign. They think sovereignty, national sovereignty, is a moral evil. It's, it's, it's wrong. And that we should all just come together as one global community, one global community with no borders. You know, the John Lennon thing. Um, we could all just sing kumbaya. We could all just give everybody a hug and stop fighting with one another. There would be no war. There would be no famine. There would, need, there would be no heartache because there would be no property to fight over if there is no border. Now, this leads somewhere. If there are no national borders, then there is no border around your property either because borders are bad. They think borders are bad. Walls are bad. Fences are bad. Doors are bad. Because everybody should be welcome to come and go. And in Texas right now, that's happening. There's a story in one of these mini docks coming out of PragerU where a rancher who's been down there for 100 years ranching, minding his own business, trying to do what ranchers do, he finds that his house has been entered while he and his wife are sleeping at night and there are six illegal immigrants in his kitchen opening up the refrigerator and helping themselves to beer. Okay, the door being locked is bad. Now, you might ask, why didn't he lock the door? Because they know down there now, they actually will tell you this. Who's they? The ranchers, the Americans, the private citizens, the private property owners. They'll tell you that if they lock their doors, that the illegal immigrants will destroy their house, banging on the doors, breaking the doors down, breaking the glass in the windows, and entering the house anyway. So one of the reasons they no longer even lock their doors is because they know that it's ineffective. And they know that there's no law enforcement to stop these people. Okay, I, I've got another friend who goes quail hunting along the Texas border every year. And he says the ranch that he goes quail hunting on, the owner of that ranch, actually has found eight, count them, eight corpses, dead bodies, out on his ranch with no explanation. I mean, that's how bad it's getting. Another uh, uh, story featured in this documentary with Prager U is that one rancher said that they had 13 to 15 people running around the outside of his house at night while they're just trying to mind their own business. These illegal immigrants are banging and, and yelling and demanding that they open the house to let them in. And nobody does anything. There's no law enforcement, no sheriff, no border patrol, no police, nothing. Okay? So it seems evident that you lose the definition of your nation, you lose the definition of your own personal property if there are no borders, if there are no walls, and if you can't lock your door and keep people out. So this, this call by Reagan and Trump that some people call nationalism, and fine, we'll call it that, because nationalism isn't bad, okay? This nationalism that Reagan's talking about, Trump's talking about, and even the Prime Minister of Australia is talking about, this nationalism is not new, and it's not xenophobic, it's not racist, it's not evil, it's not wrong, it's not unbiblical, it's not immoral. In fact, nationalism 
is the wisdom of the ages. And it attests to the self-evident relationship between strong national borders, civil cohesion, and human flourishing. If you can't keep other people out of your home, then you can't flourish because you have no confidence that the things you've invested in, in your home, whether it be the property that your home is on or the home itself or the, the stuff that you've got inside your home, inside your garage, inside your barn. If you, can't, if you can't have confidence that the borders, the fence, the security of your personal property is secure, then everything's lost. Uh, there is no cohesion and there will be no human flourishing because every person is selfish. There is no such thing as a good person. There's no such thing as a good immigrant. There's no such thing as a good American, per se. And you know why I'm saying that? Because I believe in the Bible. I believe in original sin. I believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe that the human heart is wicked. I believe that without the conversion that comes from the confession of Scripture, the confession of Christ, that we all are bent toward stealing, cheating, lying, and doing bad things. And because we've broken down that worldview and we ignore it, and then we tear down the boundaries, we're making ourselves um, pray. We're opening ourselves up to be victimized by those that are driven by vice rather than virtue. Okay, so was it just Reagan? Was it just Donald Trump? Was it just Tony Abbott? No. Let's go back a couple hundred years ago to one of the American founding fathers, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Say that one more time, Alexander Hamilton. He warned... That And this is his language, incorporating a large number of foreigners into the national mass. He said that this would serve only to, quote, divide the community and to distract our councils and compromise the interest of our own country in favor of another. That's Alexander Hamilton, the darling of the left right now because of the Broadway musical Hamilton. They think Hamilton is the only virtuous founding father. Well, let's talk about Hamilton. He's the one that said incorporating a large number of foreigners into the national mass will divide the community and distract our councils and compromise the interests of our own country in favor of another. Close quote, Alexander Hamilton. And that's not all he said. Hamilton went on to predict that the long-term consequence of uncontrolled immigration would be, and I quote, a numerous body of men who will weaken the strength of the nation. To admit foreigners, he said, indiscriminately, would be nothing less than to admit the Gresham horse into the citadel of our liberty and sovereignty, close quote. So he's saying that we're basically allowing the Trojan horse, the Gresham horse, to be, to be rolled into our country, into the citadel, he said, of our liberty and our sovereignty, close quote. And we think this is going to end well? No, the enemy is hiding inside the Trojan horse, inside the Gresham horse. They're going to come out of the belly of that horse, and they're going to kill us. They're going to steal our freedom, steal our country, steal our liberties, steal our lives, steal our property. So that's Alexander Hamilton. Oh, well, now all of a sudden you don't like him, you say. Okay? And who's Alexander Hamilton? Just because he said it, does that mean it's true? Well, let's go back a little earlier than that. If you want to go back 200 years to Hamilton, let's go back another 300 years. Let's go back, well, more than that. Let's go back 500 years before Hamilton in the 1200s, okay? Now we have Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s, and he argued essentially the same thing. In his seminal work, Summa Theologica, okay, that's one of the books, one of the writings, one of the works that Aquinas is most known for. In, in this Summa Theologica, 
Aquinas contended, he contended that the Jews of the Old Testament did not, they did not admit all visitors equally. Now, I've talked to you about this before, but this is Aquinas's spin on it. He said that the Jews didn't admit all visitors equally, okay? In fact, some sojourners, you know, this is the word the left likes to use, some sojourners were not admitted at all. Why? Because they were known to be hostile toward the nation of Israel, okay? Aquinas points out the obvious, the obvious that enemies, such as the Amalekites and the Moabites, were not to be given any entrance. They were not to be granted any entrance, <laughs> zero, into the Israel, because they were enemies of Israel. The Amalekites were not welcome as sojourners within the walls of Jerusalem. Okay, Aquinas outlined three distinct and separate categories of immigrants. Does that sound familiar? I've talked to you about this before. How the Hebrew language has three different words for foreigner. Okay, and there's only one of them that is welcome within the walls of Jerusalem, and that's the ger, G-E-R. The ger, G-E-R, are the legal immigrants. They're the ones who comply with the law, and they want to become naturalized citizens. They want to become part of the Jewish nation because they love and respect the rules, the laws, the traditions of the Jewish people. Okay, The other immigrants, the sojourners, were not to be treated the same way because they were either uh, visitors, like tourists, or they might be somebody just traveling across the country because they needed to get from point A to point B. And then you had the enemy. And of course, you didn't admit the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, etc., into the walls. Okay? So, again, Aquinas outlines these three distinct and separate categories of immigrants. Okay? And he says the Jews didn't treat them all the same. Now, this is Aquinas' language. The foreigners who passed through the land as travelers, these were the visitors such as modern-day tourists, like I just said, and even someone who was traveling across the country because they were going from one city to another city or one land to another land, and they needed to cross Israel to get there. And yes, Israel did show these people some courtesy, but they expected these people to do what they said they were going to do, just travel across the land because you're engaged in commerce and trade, or if you're visiting, if you're a tourist, great, welcome, but you're not a citizen while you're doing that. And don't expect to be treated like one. If you live by our laws and you comply with the regulations, then fine, we will treat you with courtesy and we will not treat you as an enemy. Okay? Only the gear, only those that wanted to become naturalized citizens were given full respect and dignity and honor as potential citizens. Okay? So you had the foreigners who passed through the land as travelers. That's using Aquinas' language, okay? And then the second category were those who, quote, came to dwell in the land as newcomers. Now, this category was akin to resident aliens. You know, people like um, those that have a green card that are living in our country legally. A student, a university student that has a green card, or one that stays even after being in school because they have a work visa, Okay, these were the people who came to dwell in the land as newcomers, but they came without the full benefits of citizenship. Obviously, somebody with a green card or a work visa is not a citizen. They, they can't vote. They shouldn't vote. They have no say in the rules and regulations of the country other than just to comply with them. 
Okay, that's the second category. So the first is the one passing through the land as a traveler. The second is those who dwell in the land for a period of time as a newcomer, but they're doing so legally by virtue of a green card or a work visa or something of that nature. Now, there's a third category that Aquinas talks about, and that's those who wished, and I'm using Aquinas' language right now, to be admitted entirely into the fellowship and the mode of worship of God's chosen nation and people, okay? One more time, Aquinas' language, to be admitted entirely into the fellowship and mode of worship. That's his quote. So even here, even here, these people that agreed that they want to be welcomed and incorporated into the fellowship and mode of worship, the very seminal ideas, the, the core of what it means to be this country, this nation, this people. Even here, however, the response to those who wanted to integrate fully into the life and culture of Israel, even then it came with certain and clear requirements. Here's what Aquinas said. For they were not at once admitted to citizenship, just as it was law with some nations that no one was deemed a citizen except after two or three generations. So Aquinas was saying you've got three categories, but when it comes to those that want to be integrated into the full fellowship and mode of worship of the country, okay, they want to become naturalized citizens. They want to pledge allegiance to this country, to Israel, or in the case that we're talking about today, to America. Even these people were not admitted immediately. They, 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 had to, they were given a period of time. Aquinas says two or three generations. Whether or not you want to drive a stake into the ground on that time frame or a different time frame, the point is you needed to prove your loyalty. You need to prove that indeed you wanted to be part of this people, that you were going to pledge allegiance to this nation and its flag and its principles and its constitution, and basically disavow your old nation flag and constitution in favor of a better one that you wanted to become part of. Now, I want to make another point here. Aquinas, this is Thomas Aquinas. He obviously knew his Bible, and he was obviously a student of history. It, we, don't be arrogant and think you know more than Aquinas. Uh, you might want to just take a spoonful of humility and listen to him. So he knew his Bible and he knew history and he understood. He understood this very basic truth. If all foreigners were allowed to meddle in the affairs of Israel or any other nation for that matter, the nation would cease to be. Okay, common sense. If all foreigners, everyone, is allowed indiscriminately to meddle in the affairs of your country, then your country will cease to be. Your nation isn't, it isn't real any longer. In other words, admitting people into a culture who have not proven they have the culture's common good firmly at heart will inevitably result in harm to that country and its people. Why is this even something to debate? Aquinas This is Aquinas. Now, there's a scholar out there. His name is Thomas D. Williams. He's an Aquinas scholar, and he summarizes this whole Aquinas thing this way. Aquinas was clearly saying that the total integration of immigrants into the life, language, and customs and culture was necessary for full citizenship. It requires time for someone to learn which issues affect the nation and to make them their own. I'm still quoting from Williams right now. Those who know their country's history and have lived in it, working for the common good, are best suited to participate in decision-making about its future. It would be dangerous and unjust to place the future of a nation in the hands of recent arrivals who do not fully understand the needs and concerns of their adoptive home. Close quote. 
That's Thomas D. Williams commenting on Thomas Aquinas and what Aquinas was saying here. It's common sense. Aquinas, as well as essentially every other competent scholar before and after him, knew the Bible never advocates for open borders and indiscriminate immigration. It doesn't. The Bible never advocates for open borders and indiscriminate immigration. Aquinas understood there's a huge difference between a welcome visitor and an illegal invader. And today, the left loves to cite Leviticus 19, and 34. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Yes, the Bible does say that. And yes, it's true that God said the stranger who complied with all the rules and expectations was not to be oppressed. But it is equally clear, it is equally clear that the person who ignored Israel's laws warranted no such favor. The Bible never calls to give that type of uh, open door to the Amalekites, the Moabites, and others who wanted to do Israel harm. Nowhere, as in zero, nowhere in the Bible, are the privileges, protections, and services of full citizenship extended to anyone but the legal immigrant. The legal immigrant. One more time, legal immigrant, those that comply with the law. Offering refuge to those who are by definition illegal is neither following the letter of the law nor the spirit of the law in the Bible. It's immoral, it's illogical, it's unethical, it's wrong. Joe Biden's open border policy is both unbiblical and historically, morally, logically stupid. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.